What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Wrestling with Jonners. This is episode 83. Yes, we're up to 83 episodes. We're motoring along, and this is a, a special episode uh, for, for, the, for the content that we're going to be uh, covering very, very soon. We're going to be covering, as we do every single week, this week's AEW Dynamites and this week's NXT action from Full Sail. Um, it's sandwiched in between those reports. We're also going to be announcing or formally announcing the, uh, the, the categories for the end-of-year pro wrestling award. It's going to be hosted by Wrestling with Jonas, and that uh, drops on a special podcast episode on the 21st of December with my uh, uh, Twitter friends uh, at Dits uh, Dits uh, on Wrestling. Uh, a great podcast, a great YouTuber. He's been on the podcast before, and he's going to be helping us out with that special awards show. But the categories uh, and nominations actually go live from today so the categories will be announced uh, in the middle of this show and at the very end of the show we've got a, a new feature that will become a, a regular feature on this podcast it's going to be our two-minute brain buster quiz and our special guest host is on the line who i'll be introducing very very soon uh, will be our guinea pig in this first ever two-minute brain buster quiz essentially it will be uh, that our guest will get two minutes to answer as many wrestling related questions uh, correctly as possible within them two minutes so that would be good fun and we'll create a leaderboard with all of our guests on there and see how they're going i'm sure it'll turn into a bit of a friendly competition a little bit of a uh, little bit of rivalry and a little bit of competition but uh, we'll see how that goes that will be a bit of a, a testing point uh, towards the end of the show but uh, as i like to do at the beginning of every single episode is to throw out our social media plugs you know where to find us you know where to say hi and get in touch of course we're on twitter you can find us on twitter at with johnners underscore pod that's at with johnners underscore pod on twitter on instagram as well just go out and, and search wrestling with johnners and uh, of course go out and search our fun friendly interactive Facebook community page to search Wrestling with Jonners, and that's Jonners spelled J O H N E R S. And of course, if you enjoy listening to this podcast, please don't, don't forget to hit subscribe so that you can be notified every time a new episode drops. Uh, you can find Wrestling with Jonners on all popular podcast platforms, including Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and of course, YouTube. So please spread the word. Give us a follow on all of our social media pages and subscribe to our podcast and YouTube channels today. And help to get even more people listening to the to the best kept secret in the world of wrestling podcasting, the Wrestling with Jonas podcast. So, on to our special guest host. Every week, I like to have a, uh, a guest host to uh, join in on the banter and all the the lovely talk of AEW and NXT and whatever else is catching the headlines uh, for the previous seven days. And today, I've got uh, a special guest host. He actually got in touch via our uh, Wrestling with Jonas Facebook page, and uh, I've got Grizz uh, on the line. So, Grizz, welcome to the Wrestling with Jonas podcast making your wrestling Jonas podcast debut good afternoon how are you sir uh, i'm doing i'm doing excellent thank you very much for having me no you're very very welcome you reached out to uh, to myself uh, via messenger via facebook after i put out a post looking for uh, new collaborators uh, new people that might be wanting to get involved in the podcast be a guest host be a co-host and uh, you decided to throw your hat into the ring uh, what kind of prompted you to do that uh, then graham I, I understand you've got a, a bit of a history in podcasting yourself i understand uh, i do yes um i used to uh, run a a podcast called the uh, Turning Heel Podcast with uh, uh, my good buddy, um, and basically it's you know your average Scottish thing of uh, sitting down and having a couple too many drinks and uh, making arses of herself. 
<laughs> Sounds fantastic. I'll have to look it up. And uh, you, you, you're not in the podcast game anymore, um, but you did that for a couple of years. But to, you, you've clearly been a wrestling fan for a long time. Now, when, when did the wrestling bug kind of catch you? When did you do you remember the first time you caught a glimpse of professional wrestling and uh, what, what you witnessed uh, on your TV screen at a young age? Or when, when did you first come across professional wrestling and when did it find you? Well, I actually got into pro wrestling a little bit later than, you know, a, a couple of the sort of more average fans. Um, I got into it in 2002 properly, so I just missed, like, the, the Attitude Era and the Invasion storyline and, and whatnot. Um, the first pay-per-view that I can remember uh, was my my friend uh, came over and he had recorded um, Royal Rumble 2000 off of the, the television when... It used to be on Channel Four. Yeah, good choice. And, good choice. Yeah, so that was uh, that was my first like proper exposure to to wrestling, and then like since from then I just kind of uh, like got into it. Back when um, Sky Sky One used to show uh, SmackDown on like uh, Saturday mornings. Yeah. And, uh, and and you've obviously been following it ever since. So uh, you've been on the journey now with professional wrestling for 17 years. So that's, that's a good amount of wrestling fandom under your belt. And what sort of wrestling do you like to watch nowadays, then, Grizz? Um, do you get the chance to uh, view any in person? Do you get to go to any venues and watch any live wrestling? Or is it mostly uh, via, via, the, via the TV? But uh, what sort of wrestling kind of turns you on nowadays, then? Um name the company and i'll probably watch it really so i know that we've messaged backwards and forwards and you've got a a big list of wrestling that you keep on top of and it's hard for for me to cover as much wrestling as i do on a weekly basis but uh you you throw out AEW, obviously nxt wwe all the mainstream stuff uh any kind of independent stuff that you tend to watch on a on a semi-regular basis then grizz well yeah uh, i follow uh, stardom uh quite um closely um, a little bit behind at the moment, but like I've I've got like a kind of backlog. But it's it's nice to just kind of sit for you know like an evening and just like churn through a couple of their shows at a time. Yeah, but I'm assuming that you're, you're a regular viewer of NXT and AEW Dynamite. Hence, we're kind of covering both shows on this episode. Um, but are they your bread and butter? Are they your go-to wrestling promotions nowadays? Absolutely, especially AEW. AEW has been nothing short of like excellent <laughs> since it, excellent. it debuted. Yeah, well, I'm looking forward to some some good kind of uh, uh, reviews from yourself regarding uh, this week's uh, Dynamite, of course. But um, what what in particular uh, has kind of turned you on to AEW Dynamite and the product that they've been producing so far? I mean, they only announced that they were going to be a company at the beginning of January this year, of course. Their their first uh, official show was Double or Nothing in May. They've had a couple of pay-per-views and some kind of smaller uh, shows since then. And, of course, they're into week nine now of AEW Dynamite. But what do you love about the package of... Of AEW as a whole then Grizz? Well I, I, I like it because well first of all it's uh, because it's it's Kenny Omega you know arguably one of the greatest wrestlers on the planet today and yeah. so you know um, Ken, Ken at any time that he's he shows up doing anything it's like right well that's that's me I'm going to be following you over here now yeah. um, Cody who's been obviously a, a massive name and really done quite a lot uh, since he left WWE so it's been interesting to kind of follow his career um, and obviously with the Young Bucks and all that as well but when they announced uh, when they started naming their roster and uh, Chris Jericho and Pac showed up and it's like right hold on a second now we've got something 
Yeah, definitely. And, and I think that's what hooked a lot of people, to be honest with you. Um, and they're two names that will feature in this week's episode, of course. And I have to agree with you. I've, I've seen all of their stuff, seen all their pay-per-views. Uh, I've covered all of their uh, episodes of AEW Dynamite. And it is stellar, stellar stuff. And I think it is filling the gap now for the uh, lapsed wrestling fan, you could say, that's fallen out of love of WWE because of their family-friendly product, you could say. I mean, NXT, to a certain degree, is kind of filling that gap for the more traditional wrestling fan. Uh, but AEW is, is kind of a, a mixture of the modern and the traditional as well. It does tend to kind of take you back to what worked back in the 80s and the 90s. And there are kind of uh, echoes of, of what worked 20, 30 years ago and mixing that with the modern, the modern wrestling, the modern names um, and uh, all, all the glitz and glamour that Dynamite's given us. So I'm enjoying the hell out of it. And uh, yes, like I say, it's, it's uh, definitely proven successful so far. Um, there has been some shots of, of the audience, one half of the audience kind of being uh, a little bit bare or tarped off. Um, is that slightly worrying, being so early into their run, having their arenas kind of uh, maybe half or maybe two thirds full as opposed to completely sold out. Yeah. Because like the first couple of weeks, they definitely like were running high on, Oh, this sold out in like five, 10, 15 minutes. Um, yeah. And th- there were even like, you know, a couple of those uh, photos, as you say, coming out and uh, they were still claiming that this was a sold out show. And then, you know, you get the photo of uh, half the, half the arena being empty yeah it's yeah I, I'm, I'm hoping more it's just maybe you know it's just not as exposed yet as it can be and yeah. it might come over time but i think like they seem to be doing well enough to uh that it won't be like a worry yeah and i i i'm where i've had this argument where nxt i think would benefit from going to uh going on the road doing more arena shows not necessarily like the sea center which they sold out on saturday night of course fourteen thousand people but i think if they were to do weekly shows in arenas like that they would have a very similar uh response or result to aw dynamite maybe have five six seven thousand instead of ten to fourteen thousand i know that even raw and smackdown struggle to sell out the sea center i mean if you live in chicago this last seven days Grizz I mean you've had a you've had a hell of a wrestling treat certainly if you could afford it you would have had uh, I, I think Smackdown was there on the Friday then you had NXT TakeOver War Games on the Saturday Survivor Series on the Sunday uh, Raw there on the Monday there was a, a, a break for the wrestling fans that were still in town Tuesday and then they and then they uh, Dynamite was there on Wednesday of course so a uh, hell of a seven days if you're a, a fan of Chicago so no wonder you know it would be, would be almost impossible to sell out the arena for all five shows that I've just mentioned but um yeah I, I I'm wondering whether it might benefit AW to look at their calendar and possibly pencil in some smaller arenas mm-hmm. um but um you to be honest with you you know conversely watching AEW you wouldn't know that it wasn't sold out because the fans are so into it the action's really really hot the the fan noise is definitely there the the action of the drama is definitely there so maybe it's not affecting the viewing audience maybe it's not affecting the people in the arenas um so uh, and like you say maybe it could improve over time when they become more established or maybe they will book in smaller arenas but uh, definitely very interesting to see anyway and and on the subject of takeover war games and survivor series uh what did you think of both shows from last weekend um well i ended up having a, a long weekend uh, off of work so i got to sit and watch them both uh, live um 
last week uh, last weekend. So that was that was a really good start, and I think it very much held with uh, my enjoyment of the shows because yeah. uh, there was there was arguably two of the the much better uh, WWE shows that they've they've put on this year. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And and Survivor Series, I, I had it penciled as possibly my WWE pay-per-view of the year. Maybe Royal Rumble might just pick it, but I think the inclusion of having NXT um, on a main roster pay-per-view and the uh, brand supremacy matches w- were absolutely stellar. I mean, personally, I felt that the the Pete Dunne-Adam Cole match was the best match of the night. I loved the, the men's five-on-five-on-five. On five on five. In my books, that possibly should have gone on last knowing what we know now about the main events and uh, yeah. not that not that the women in the main event put a foot wrong you know the match was was good for what it was but i think the fans were a mixture of being um exhausted from having sat there through two hours of pre-show and then another three and a half hours of, of main card um Many of them might have been at SmackDown or TakeOver from the night before, of course. So probably a little bit of burnout there. But I don't think they were quite into the action. And and to be honest with you, I think Becky Lynch's uh, popularity has uh, dropped off quite a lot since WrestleMania. I think Becky's heel, uh, Bailey's heel turn hasn't really worked the way they intended, to be honest with you. She's almost gone from having this uh, this character that should have worked as a babyface, but unfortunately didn't, to having a heel persona that's definitely not working. So it's a, a, a downward step as far as I'm concerned. And uh, But I did love the fact that Shayna was in that main event. I did love the fact that she won and kind of uh, finished the show on the winning end. Didn't agree with Becky Lynch's uh, kind of attack on her at the very end there. That kind of left a bit of a sour taste in my mouth. but. Um, overall, I thought Survivor Series was an excellent, excellent show. What about yourself? Um, you know what? You pretty much hit the nail on the head with almost everything there. Uh, I fully agree that yeah, that Bailey, uh, sorry, uh, Becky's uh, popularity has been going down, and it is almost starting to get to the point where it's like it, we feel the need to maybe take the the, the title offer because she's kind of like almost a title hog at this point. Mm. Um, and then, as you say, Bailey's uh, heel turn has just not gone the way that a lot of people were hoping. Because, like, when Bailey first turned heel, I was ecstatic because I was, uh, I was like, uh, finally, like, this is something because she's been needing something for a long time. Like, there was only so much left of the the hugger character um, that that she could have kind of got mileage out of. And I really quite enjoy um, the heel Bailey, but uh, as in the, the character, but she is not very good on the microphone as a heel. Yeah. And I think that's very, like, you really need um, a good talker to pull off the, the kind of gimmick that, that she's doing now as a heel. And unless maybe they start having Sasha Banks being like, Bailey's mouthpiece and Bailey like refusing to talk or something like that might help her yeah, a little. That would work. I think that would work and uh, pairing up again uh, on a more consistent basis with Sasha Banks being there. I thought they were uh, good together as the tag team champions up until they lost the bouts and then Sasha went AWOL for however many months. Uh, but but joining them to, together again as more permanent um, pairing, I think would definitely work and would benefit Bailey definitely. But Enough about the main roster or certainly uh, Survivor Series. Let's have a little look at uh, this week's AEW Dynamite then. So this was week nine. 
and uh, uh, it, it, it was a, a really, really good show. Stacked show, I think, leading into this week's episode of AW Dynamite, looking at the matches on offer. It looked almost pay-per-view quality, to be honest with you. I mean, they'd obviously advertised from last week um, a match that's been built over the last couple of weeks. Scorpio Sky uh, going up against uh, Chris Jericho, of course. You had the final of the, uh, let's get this right, the, the, the Dynamite Dozen final, or however they were describing it, for this very expensive diamond ring uh, that seemed to go up in value uh, every 10 minutes. Um, and uh, and so many other things, but more importantly, it was it was the kind of uh, the Chris Jericho thank you celebration uh, events which kicked off the show. And uh, yeah, yep. So you had Soul Train Jones, uh, otherwise known as Virgil, or uh, what was he known as in, in WCW? Was it Vincent or something like that? Yes. Uh, but- <laughs> but but Chris Jericho seems to be using Soul Train Jones more for comedy value. Uh, but uh, this kind of got a bit of a chuckle out of me, especially when Soul Train was kind of reading from his notes and uh, and fluffing nearly every single line. I don't think he, he he even got Chris Jericho's name out correctly, to be honest with you. But it was entertaining. I think it was meant to be entertaining. Uh, when Jericho comes out, uh, he tells the fans in Chicago to sit down and to shut up. Uh, there's massive inflatable animals and characters all around the ring. There's boxed presents inside the ring, along with a portrait of himself uh, or the inner circle. And Jericho uh, tells uh, us that um, tonight is a thank you, not from the fans, but it's meant to be a thank you from the AEW executives and the brass in the office. Jericho tells us that, uh, uh, or shows us, as a matter of fact, the official a little bit of bubbly alcoholic beverage. So uh, I don't think we'll see this on the shelves in Tesco to be honest with you Grizz <laughs> uh, but uh, I know it's available on the AEW website they plugged that enough throughout this episode but uh, I, I like the fact that they're capitalising off of um, yeah essentially Chris Jericho sitting in a hot tub drinking champagne and then uh, making a meme out of it so uh, very good good for them um, it took a then... lot for me to not order it <laughs> when <laughs> when he brought the website I went on the website and had a look and it was like Oh, I'd love a love a bottle of that sitting on the table on Christmas Day. That would be that would be hilarious. But he says it's made from the finest grapes uh, from the side of a mountain in Nepal. So uh, uh, there we go. Mm. Uh, the delicious. inner circle come. The inner circle then come down to to, to join in on the celebrations. Uh, Sammy Guevara unveils a cardboard cutout of him, himself and uh, and Jericho hugging. Uh, Santana and Ortiz come out. They, they've got like a hamper of goodies for Jericho. Jake Hager even tries to come out. He attempts to uh, uh, get close to the ring with with a goat, uh, saying that uh, he, he called the goat uh, Chris Jerry Goat. So uh, I think to be honest with you, that went down like a lead balloon. Like, but like most of the segments, uh, it was all for fun. It was all uh, tonguey in cheek and that that segment as well um then we had chris jericho's dad come out of a box uh who instantly became the biggest heel in the arena instantly became the biggest heel of the night uh, as a former new york rangers ice hockey player in front of a chicago crowd so that was quite funny and uh, Jericho's dad definitely played his part very well there uh, Jericho brings in Justin Roberts um, uh, to give uh, Roberts the official statement from the AEW executives uh, to read out uh, g- giving Jericho the thank you he deserves from the executives however Jericho wasn't happy with the way that Roberts read out the statement and along with the inner circle proceeded to beat down the ring announcer before SEU uh, dressed as uh, part of the marching band um, uh, they rushed to the ring to make the save on Roberts and of course further setting up Jericho's main event championship match against Scorpio Sky so th- there was a lot that happened here Grizz this was a pretty entertaining opening 10 minutes uh, give, give us your two pence worth on what happened here then buddy well uh, as I say a little bit of bubbly.com like I, I was <laughs> completely all over that I thought that was amazing um, and Chris Jericho uh, it's funny because it obviously works on like a couple of different levels because yeah. 
Jericho being the the greatest of all time, being a goat, and then naming the goat Chris Jericho. And then, yeah, that was very funny. I must admit, yeah. It's and a shame then, that the, the goat didn't want any of the action though. The goat wasn't oh, having no. it. Um, he didn't want any of the limelight. He wasn't having it. But uh, he, he, that even got a chuckle out of Jake Hager, who's normally stony faced. <laughs> yeah. It was just uh, that part when there was the stagehand just literally pushing the goat's butt, and it's like, <laughs> go on, goat. And then Jake Hager's just like, it's Chris Jericho. Uh, never mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it worked. It definitely worked. Um, and, and then we went into our first match of the night, then, Grizz. Uh, the Best Friends versus uh, the Lucha Bros. So uh, I can vaguely remember these two having a match before on an episode of Dynamite, but maybe I'm just confusing it. A lot of a lot of these matches do seem to be quite repetitive from time to time, but this match uh, was very good. So the action in this match started even before the bell uh, rang as the Lucha Brothers attacked Best Friends on the outside. Uh, we even saw, saw a cameo from Orange Cassidy dressed as a turkey it was Thanksgiving this week in America after all uh, and he delivered a huge dive off the top turnbuckle onto the Lucha Brothers on the outside the first half of this match saw Penta and Phoenix keep Beretta firmly in their corner as they were beating him down uh uh, Chuck Taylor eventually got the hot tag dropping the Lucha Brothers with a huge scent on over the top rope and to the outside the best friends eventually get the surprise pinfall after Trent delivered his devastating uh, crushing on Ortiz for the pinfall victory no doubt helping them to improve in the tag team rankings so uh, this was a good match uh, I must be honest with you I was surprised to see the Lucha Brothers lose um, but um, it, we don't want obviously the same individuals the same teams same wrestlers to win week in week out and it was good for the best friends to give them a little bit of a push um a little bit of a, a cameo a bit of fun action there from orange cassidy dressed as a turkey so we had pretty much everything in this one but uh, what you're going to get from these four individuals is fantastic wrestling action and it's quite a hot match for what it was uh, but uh, give us your your thoughts on what went down here then oh yeah yeah it was it was a great match and um, again, agreed. I'm very surprised that uh, Best Friends actually won, mm. and this marks like the second time in a week that uh, Trent has pinned one of the members of the Lucha Bros because he yeah. he defeated uh, uh, Pentagon on uh, AEW Dark as well, which again was an absolute shock. Um, and obviously, coming out of this match next week, um, Trent is going to go against uh, Phoenix. Uh, so right. can he can he pull off the the threefer? Yeah, can he pull off the hat trick? That would be pretty impressive. I'm I'm kind of guessing, reading into the storyline that that he possibly will, or some shenanigans will happen. But um, yeah, obviously setting up a, a good storyline there for the best friends. But an entertaining way to kick off the show, uh, match wise. Anyway, then we went into a, a women's tag match. Sorry, did you see just the, before you go on? Oh, uh, carry on, carry on. Remember the uh, the commentator they brought in for this match? Yeah. <laughs> well, I can't kind of remember him. I, I can't remember his name. I know that he didn't really contribute much, and he was he, he could have done with elevating his voice a little bit. But uh, I, I'm sure uh, making his debut, um, he was probably a bit nervous. But what was your what was your kind of thoughts and feelings on that fella? Uh. <laughs> I'm guessing they've got him uh, kind of his name scored through any potential appearances he might make on AEW Dynamite in the future. Um, but uh, maybe stick I, to dark, yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. But I know that Tony Shivani is back next week, so uh, I'm sure they'll be back to full force because uh, God knows Excalibur needs to help. Um, but uh, not not because of Excalibur's ability, but because of uh, what he has to put up with with Jim Ross. Uh, what, what's your feelings on Jim Ross as a commentator on AEW Dynamite? I know that uh, his contributions have been mocked a little bit on social media. 
media um from myself included dare i say i, I think that he's uh, maybe his style of commentary was more suited to 15 20 30 years ago instead of 2019 what's your feelings on jr um in 2019 then grizz well you you uh you, you pretty much hit the nail on the head again there with uh, Excalibur. Like his uh, back must be absolutely killing him for uh, all the weight that he has to carry doing <laughs> his job. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, and like funnily, you bring that up because during this match there was a point where Jr. called Trent Taven for some reason. Um, mm-hmm. Even though I don't think uh, you know Jr. has been anywhere near Matt Taven at any point for him to get the two of them mixed up. And. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was just the way he was like, oh, Taven with the with that move. And then Excalibur was just like, you mean Trent? <laughs> and he's yeah. just like, yes, yes, Trent. Yeah, and it's, it's like when Excalibur, Excalibur sorry, uh, says a move in, in Spanish, uh, like the oh, Topecon no. hero or anything like that. And, and, and Jim Ross has to put his uh, Oklahoma spin on it uh, to what he might have referred to it as um, uh, 20 or 30 years ago. But um, yes, like I love JR to pieces. Um, he'll always be up there as, as possibly the greatest uh, commentator of all time. But I think he needs to take a sidewards or maybe a downward step and maybe let Tony Schiavone and uh, Excalibur uh, take the reins uh, sometime in the future. I think, that, personally, and I hate to say this, I think that Jim Ross is possibly hurting the product as opposed to helping it. Yeah. I think maybe he may need to be brought in for a few of the bigger matches because yeah. he has had good calls. Like, during <laughs> the, the Kenny Omega and uh, Dean Ambrose match, I would say, yep. like, he, he, was, he was pretty much on the on the, the, the money with uh, his uh, commentary work there. But those, those are kind of guys that he knows a lot more. And yeah. like, I, I guess, Ken, you you got to think of it in this kind of way of, he should probably know these wrestlers, you know, before uh, going on air. But this, like, he's brought into this company. And so he's having to learn a lot of brand new wrestlers he's never seen before on a very, very quick basis. And... Yeah. For a lot of people, that would that would probably be a very difficult task. Um, so I guess like, I'm not I'm not trying to like, you know, give him an out for some of the shoddy calls that he's had, but at the same time, like I guess you kind of need to think of it in that way. It's like for someone, especially because he's an older person as well, like it may be quite difficult for him to to just see all these new new wrestlers and you know try and keep up with everything. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I I agree with a couple of things you said there. Firstly, I think they should bring him out for the the bigger matches. Um, I I think, you know, put him in for for main events, like when they used to wheel him out for big NXT matches when he signed again uh, a few years ago with WWE, or or big um, WrestleMania matches when they would kind of bring him out for big main event uh, matches. But uh, I think they should do something similar, just save him for the big matches and maybe Mm -hmm. have him as a consultant backstage or as an executive or something like that and uh, so that it doesn't lessen his uh, importance within within AEW I suppose um but I do agree I think he, he does struggle with some of the more modern terminology some of the more modern moves and some of the newer wrestlers I I, I do want to echo your sentiment I thought he was excellent during the non-sanctioned match at uh, full gear from um, last month I uh, thought that his comment it really it was very reminiscent of some of his his classic calls when he was with WWE uh, the, the Moxley versus Omega match I thought he was on top form there. But yes, um, I do think he's maybe a little bit of an embarrassment. 
um, I'd say 50% of the time, if that if that's kind of being generous, to be honest with you. But um, let's move on to our next match. And it was a, a women's tag match. Uh, B Priestley and uh, Emi Sakura uh, versus Hikiri Shida and uh, Chris Statlander. So um, usually I, I butcher the Japanese names. I think I did quite well there, to be honest with you, Chris. I think I did OK. Uh, but in this match, uh, Statlander impressed fairly early on with a moonsault off the ring apron and a missile dropkick. Uh, one thing that was noticeable um, was the distinct lack of crowd noise, certainly during the entrances and fairly early on in this match. I do think the crowd warmed up uh, towards the end, most definitely. There's, there's one spot in this match where Priestley uh, placed, was placed between the turnbuckles uh, and with Shida um, suplexing Emi Sakura into her own partner with Sakura's boots appearing to catch Priestley quite hard. Uh, so, but that was quite a, 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 a unique spot. So I've not seen uh, a spot where somebody's been kind of wedged between the, the, ring, the, the, the turnbuckles like that and then her partner kind of suplexed on top of her. Uh, Statlander nearly gets the win for uh, her team with her version of an Oklahoma, Oklahoma role. Uh, Sakura misses a moonsault. Statlander uh, nearly has the match won with a huge face buster and a scissor kick. However, Emi Sakura eventually gets the win for her team using the mic stand on Statlander, rolling, then rolling her opponent up for the one, two, three. So um, it was a good match. Um, I, I've enjoyed the 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 Joshi, the Joshi wrestlers in AEW. Um, I do think that uh, some of the wrestlers they're bringing in to bolster out the, the roster, um, like, for example, Chris Statlander has been a great addition uh, to the women's roster. Um, I'd like them see, I'd like to see them use Nyla Rose a bit more because I think that she is um, a, a fantastic uh, prospect for the future for women's wrestling and certainly in AEW. Um, but uh, I must admit, I do have some question marks over Brie Priestley. I think that she can be a little bit stiff sometimes, unnecessarily mm-hmm. so or certainly that's the way it comes across is her wrestling style is a little bit stiff I'm not necessarily going to say sloppy um, but uh, definitely stiff and she has been known to kind of catch one or two of her opponents fairly firmly in the past but uh, this match was very good Uh, it built towards the end the fans certainly got into it and uh, yeah a bit of a you could say controversial uh, ends to the match with Amy Sacro using her mic stand to um, help get to the end but uh, what were your thoughts on this one then buddy? Yeah, um, I I really enjoyed this. Obviously, um, uh, you know, three three Joshi Joshi women because as uh, B Priestley wrestles for Stardom, um, right, yeah, and was uh, was their uh, champion for a while, um, which broke my heart when that when that happened because she defeated um, Kagetsu, who is absolutely one of my favorites there. But that, you know, that's that's a story for another day. Um, I. Really think that I, I I love Emi Sakura, like I just find her so funny. And there was this one one spot during the match where uh, Hikaru Shida brought out the chair and was going to do like a, a running dive, and so she she was getting ready to do it. She was getting ready to run, and then Emi Sakura just kind of sat in the chair and just pretended to drink <laughs> tea. Yeah. And it was just like, oh, we sweetheart. That was good. That was funny. Um, and. Yeah, I will agree that uh, probably B Priestley. I don't know if it maybe is because she wrestles quite a lot in uh, in Japan these days that maybe she's sort of de- unintentionally developed a you know a strong style, mm-hmm. Japanese strong style, um, yeah. and maybe that's why it kind of comes off um, a bit a bit rougher fr- from her. Yeah, um, and with uh, Chris Statlander, like I don't really know too much about her. And I want to see, like, because she's got this gimmick of she's an alien or something. 
Mm-hmm. And considering how well they're doing these promo videos with uh, the Dark Order, yeah. um, I want to see a kind of promo video that kind of fleshes out this Chris Statlander, the alien character, and like really make it mean something because I, f- I find that there are wrestlers in AEW that get brought in and they're just kind of the, them as a company, AEW, um, just kind of assume that everybody knows um, who these guys are, what they do and what their gimmicks are. So they don't really feel the need to kind of flesh out characters. But if you're if you're like you know a lapsed fan that's just uh, coming back coming back to wrestling by watching AEW and you don't know who these wrestlers are, you do kind of need a bit of explanation. Because if you sat down and watched this match and you were like, why do they keep calling Chris Statlander an alien? It's it just it kind of doesn't make sense. Yeah, and I, I've been calling for more uh, video vignettes uh, for for for, for well, months, if not years, both on WWE TV, AEW. More recently, it's a fantastic, an easy way to introduce a character and, and leave them off telly for you know two or three weeks, so they can get these vignettes out. And then by the time they do make their debut, um, they'll be more well known. They'll have a, a character that people are familiar with, and uh, they'll have a, a presence that people are going to get behind. And I have fond memories growing up in the early early 90s of the you know the Razor Ramon vignettes I think they did Razor Ramon vignettes for possibly two months before they brought him in for his debut and when he made his debut he was already a rock star you know he was absolutely fantastic they did the same for for many others over the years and uh, then it, it dropped off they, they do it occasionally on uh, NXT and they do it occasionally on AEW but uh, with these out more outlandish characters or newer characters I agree they should do more of that type of thing I mean and for crying out loud if we can have a dinosaur on AEW we can definitely have an alien yeah <laughs> <laughs> and um, as you you kind of mentioned this was another like surprise ending um, with uh, B and Sakura winning considering the fact that they were really pimping out uh, pimping out um, uh, Hikaru Shida being the the top ranked um, female in the division yeah. And so, like, this is the, the kind of thing with AEW that I actually quite enjoy is the fact that, you know, sometimes, like, when you're watching WWE and stuff, you kind of sit down and then you, you see the two wrestlers or a tag team or whatever ever in the ring and you're just like, oh, well, we clearly know who's going to win this match. And then, lo and behold, it's the person you thought all along that wins that match. Uh, but with AEW, they do kind of keep you guessing a bit more and it kind of makes um, a lot of these matches, like... Uh, a lot more intriguing in a way because with AEW it seems as if like oh uh, what you think is going to happen may not always happen yeah very true that is noticeable we do get surprise winners and surprise finishes but uh, yeah definitely enjoyed this one Um, then we get a backstage video with uh, John Moxley saying that he declares war on AEW sending out a call to arms to anybody wanting to step up uh, to be a hero um, or uh, to be seriously seriously hurt as he described after the commercial break we then get the return of uh, the American Nightmare Cody with uh, more fireworks and you can shake your very big stick at Grizz Um, uh, probably well i'd say they spent their budget on fireworks but i know we had more fireworks throughout the night and cody um only just getting medically cleared after his match with chris jericho at um full gear of course and uh, then cody 
uh, goes into a match with uh, Matt Nix. So this is a, a squash or an enhancement match, you could say, uh, featuring Matt Nix. Uh, Cody connects early on with a spring ball cutter before applying his figure four leg lock. I say his figure four leg lock. I, I can't remember seeing him use it very often, but uh, he gets the easy submission win here over Nix. Uh, after the match, Cody gets on the mic to call out MJF, uh, telling him that, that they don't have to wait and they can go right right at it now. Uh, but uh, from the right-hand corner of our screens we then saw a mystery assailant come from from within the ring um similar to what we used to see with the undertaker or kane or now the fiends uh cutting a hole in the canvas and coming up through the ring it turned out to be uh, the blade and uh, the butcher who uh, attack cody along with uh, ali or the bunny as she's uh, now known as uh, in aw uh, from behind uh, it, it was a bit of a confusing segment to be honest with you uh, it was kind of an attack out of nowhere now my problem with this whole segment after the match went down, was that uh, nobody really knew who these guys were as they were coming th- from underneath the ring or through the ring. Um, and it's yet another feud uh, that Cody is involved with in 2019. Of course, he was involved in a big feud with his brother leading up to Double or Nothing uh, in May. Then a bit a big feud uh, with uh, Sean Spears and then going into his feud with Chris Jericho for that championship match at uh, Full Gear. And then MJF, of, of course, uh, MJF turned uh, heel at Full Gear. You've got Wardlow thrown in there as well now these three and in the space of what less than six months you've got about four or five different feuds there for cody so uh, is there a fear that cody could be spreading himself too thin as the lead babyface of AEW, uh being involved in so many kind of feuds that don't really last any longer than one match and possibly dilutes cody as a performer or dilutes the importance of any feud he might be part of yeah that's actually a very good point like i really really like cody Mm, Uh, same here yeah, I feel as if like it, it almost seems as if like all of Cody's kind of feuds need to be like really grandiose and everything. Um, and I, I don't know. I just because the way that they built up this uh, MJF feud has been quite great with the way yeah. that you know he's he, he has admittedly still been a heel, but he was still Cody's friend. So because he would he would still come out and make fun of the uh, the crowd and all that, be, be like, oh well, all you all you people are smelly and ugly. But I'm still Cody's best friend, and then people liked him because he was Cody's best friend. So when he properly turned heel, I was I was thinking that this could be a feud that can go on for quite a while, and it could always just be kind of one of those um, kind of things that are always it it will always be there. You know they'll have their match or matches, and then they, they can be down the line like say a battle royal or something like that where the the two of them will uh like face off in the middle of the ring and you know like jr or excalibur could be like i remember the the feud that these two had at the end of last year da, 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 da. Yeah. um and just when uh butcher and the blade came out uh and attacked cody and it's like well like we haven't even really gotten into this mgf feud yet but yet now uh, this tag team are attacking Cody unless they end up uh, joining MJF and you know MJF has his own like ran faction with Butcher Blade Ali and Wardlow is the kind of only way that I can see uh, see this going right now mm-hmm. and yeah I agree and, that, that, that could work that could work yeah and as you said as well um the way that like nobody seemed to really know who they were this was the same problem that they had with the dark order when they debuted 
yeah was like it, it kind of was it kind of hurt, uh, hurts back to what i said earlier whoa sorry my cat just jumped up on the <laughs> down by <laughs> sorry about that my cat that's right carry on, on the, the uh, uh desk um, I'll tell you what, uh, animals love to make uh, cameo appearances on my podcast because quite often you'll hear my two dogs downstairs <laughs> going hell for leather if the postman turns up. So uh, your cat is more, a more than welcome addition to the podcast. Don't worry about that. <laughs> they're the, pod, the podcasts, as I like to call them. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Um, so th- this kind of harks back to what I was saying earlier with uh, um, the way that they, they bring in these people and just expect fans to know who they are. And sometimes that's not the best thing, especially since, uh, you know, like <laughs> people kind of only know um, the butcher for being, you know, Ali's husband, uh, Pepper Parks. And they only know. Uh, wait, did I say that right? I think I meant the blade because uh, the butcher is the guitarist of uh, Every Day I Die. And like that's kind of the, the only reason they know. Or it could be, you know, Dr. Robotnik from the look that he has. Yeah. Um, but they keep, they keep bringing out these teams or these people and they expect the fans to know who they are. And then they get, they get, uh, they wonder why people don't react. And it's, I, I only knew who they were because I used to watch this, uh, very short lived, uh, wrestling company called, uh, Blackcraft, where they were quite, uh, quite big in there for the, the short run of that, that company. And that's kind of the only place I know them from. Or I think they work for Destiny Wrestling. But other than that, that's really been about it. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. I hadn't, I've had no exposure to these two wrestlers um, prior to seeing them on AEW Dark. And that uh, might be a little bit naive of me. Maybe I need to go out and search a few more in in the uh, wrestling companies than I do. But uh, no, it, it, uh, it was a bit of an education for me, I think. Um, uh, JR was just as much in the dark as, as anybody when they <laughs> when they ripped their way through the ring. But uh, uh, let's it, it's good because it adds to the tag team roster. Um, and uh, I think the tag team roster and tag team action in AEW is probably as hot as anywhere in the world right now, which is uh, definitely one feather they've definitely got in their cap. But um, yeah, a, a little bit confused as to how this intertwines with the MJF feud uh, and no doubt MJF and, and Cody, they're, they're still on a, a path to meeting each other one day in the ring. Um, but uh, I like the idea of these two uh, butcher and blade and Ali maybe getting involved in some kind of faction with MJF and uh, Wardlow, because if you remember from a couple of weeks ago, MJF uh, kind of turned down Chris Jericho's offer to join the inner circle. And I wondered if that's because he had bigger things in mind for a faction of his own, possibly. So uh, very interesting. We'll have to, I'm sure all will become apparent very, very soon Grizz, but uh, let's talk about our next match anyway. And on paper, you, you would expect this to kind of main event uh, any arena in the world and here it is on an episode of dynamite so uh lucky for us fans i suppose and this is a it was billed as a rematch from aw uh full gear which happened in august if i'm not mistaken and it was pack or the bastard pack as they like to uh announce him as versus uh, kenny omega so uh, pack is the new number one contender or at least he was the num- a new number one contender prior to this match um according to the AEW rankings um and uh, he goes up against his, his all-out opponent uh, kenny omega of course omega comes out of the gate with a brutal snapdragon suplex uh, a buckle bomb and a sit-out power bomb for a close near fall this match was fast and furious as you would expect from these two with pack connecting with a moonsault from the top turnbuckle down onto 
Kenny Omega on the outside. Uh, Kenny launches Pac into the corner with a, a, a huge kick um, that kind of snapped Pac's head against one of the turnbuckles before getting a two count from a fisherman buster. Pack himself gets a close near fall from an avalanche falcon arrow, but misses his black arrow. Uh, Pack reverses the one-winged angel uh, from Omega, but Omega turns Pack over into a crucifix pin for the one, two, three. So um, this certainly was a, a fun and fast-paced match, as I explained earlier on. A little bit disappointed, I have to say, that they had this kind of blow-off match um, on an episode of Dynamite. It's certainly pay-per-view quality if they wanted to have a rematch between these two they could have held off until the next pay-per-view unless they haven't got one planned for a little while i know they announced that they're just doing four pay-per-views a year um but uh, also a little bit disappointed to see pack uh take take the pin after having such a great run up until this match but it was a great match between you know two of the best hands in AEW. but uh, i'd love to know your your take on this match between pack and kenny omega Oh yeah, absolutely. It obviously wasn't as good as their uh, pay-per-view match um, for obvious reasons, being that this is uh, this was a television match. But it was st- it was incredible the the speed that they were going at, um, and there was the the avalanche falcon arrow off the top rope that just looked incredible. Um, and I've I've always loved um, the red arrow now called the black arrow, but just every time he pulls that out, it's still a move that you kind of go, wow, when, yeah. when you see it. You, it's you just... can't get bored of seeing that. It's, it's one of their no. moves that you just, it has to be seen to be believed. Uh, and I was always disappointed when Pac was in the WWE and when they toured the UK that I never got to see Pac in person or perform the move in person. That was one thing that I was always looking forward to, or hoping to see as a live wrestling fan and then never got to see that move uh, mm. performed in person. One day, you never know, but uh, please oh, continue. And, yeah. um, um, I, I like the I like the way that um, you know K- Kenny won with a, a sort of roll up. So it was the, the kind of way of uh, being able to keep like Pack strong by just getting caught with a with a roll up, and um, it it gives Kenny Omega a win because let's face it, Kenny Omega hasn't really had that many victories um, recently, which is admittedly quite surprising. Um, but also, I think the main reason that they they had Pack lose here was. Because he's still got quite a good record when it comes to his record in AEW, but since uh, obviously spoilers for the the main event, um, they seem to be going with uh, Dean Ambrose next, and they kind of have similar records. So I think maybe they're uh, they were kind of wanting to have Pack be a bit lower on the um, yeah. lower the on the, the yes the rankings. Thank you. Um, uh, so that. It gives more justification to uh, to uh, Moxley being the uh, the next uh, number one contender for the championship. Yeah, it makes sense. I hadn't thought about it that way. But uh, when we get to the end of the match, it, it would make a lot more sense than what you've just said, most definitely. But uh, a, a great match and one that uh, if you haven't seen this week's NXT, uh, AEW Dynamite, definitely go back and catch that match for sure. Uh, then we, we get a, a match. Um, MJF, uh, company to the ring by Wardlow, of course, uh, going up against the hangman, Adam Page. Now, this was the the, the final of the, the Dynamite Diamond Ring match. Um, I don't know if they called it anything other than that but uh, it was essentially the, the final two competitors from last week's Dynamite Dozen Battle Royal, which uh, I enjoyed the hell out of. I thought it was a really fun uh, battle royal with uh, MJF and Adam Page being the final two in that match leading to this match here. Uh, and uh, so we reformed the Dynamite 
uh, dozen and the match for the dynamite ring will become an annual event however it's still not 100% clear on the privileges that the win- winner or the wearer of this very expensive diamond ring uh, will, uh, will will be granted um, any, any thoughts from yourself here Grizz on, on what benefits the winner of this ring will have uh, in, the, in the short or even the long term maybe well this is the kind of thing that I was hoping that they were going to announce when they had this match was like it seems as if the ring doesn't have any purpose other than, you know, its constant rising of um, how expensive it is every five minutes. Yeah. Um, and it was a hell of a ring when it got presented at the end. It was kind of, uh, it was a decent sized ring, I tell you. Oh, yeah. Um, and considering it's MGF that holds it, he should use that as a weapon now. Because mm. that, yeah, that, maybe. That'll make a, a hell of a dent in your head. Um, Oh, speaking of dents, actually, uh, how about uh, Cody's uh, massive cut that he has in his head? That's going to ruin those pretty boy looks of his. That's left a scar and a half, isn't it? But uh, one theory that I've got about the ring, and uh, I'm not going to take full credit for this. I did see something similar to this online the other day. But uh, essentially, this could potentially be Cody's um, opportunity or or pathway back into a world title contender to contend contention in the future because he might uh, wrestle MJF with the ring on the line and one of the many advantages the ring might have is possibly to grant the owner a world title shot similar to having a, a money in the bank briefcase for example and uh, this could be one way that Cody could fall into potentially being in contention for the world championship somewhere down the line of course mm-hmm. um, and obviously that that story has not even been announced or fleshed out at all but uh, that's one possibility. They did bring up the fact that this was going to be a, a an annual thing, so mm. maybe this one was this one was just to establish the ring, and nothing really much will come out of it. But maybe you know next year they might add the caveat of the winner of the ring will also receive a AEW title match, and then yeah. that then as you say that's the way that Cody could uh, could get into this and be like this is my only way to get another title match is by winning the battle royal and then defeating the other person in the battle royal uh to win the the the, uh the ring and then challenge for the belt that way but as you say like that's that's uh something that they can do like down the road and so you know like leave it till next year and then that gives cody like a whole year of not challenging for the belt so it feels like it is a real long time since he's challenged for the belt again and that yeah. that will make the story that much more compelling overall yeah but uh, this was a good fun match um towards the end of the match uh, adam page should have had the match one after dropping MD- mjf with the buckshot lariat only for wardlow to uh, get involved he, he draped mjf's foot across the rope to stop the, the the three count of course then the referee's back is turned uh, for a second time this match allowing wardlow to uh connect or, or to drop adam page with a wicked right hand allowing mjf to uh, to pin page after his own version of the crossroads um just to rub a little salt into to those wounds or to that scar in uh, Cody's forehead. Um, after the match, DDP, uh, WWE Hall of Famer, of course, comes out to make the presentation of this very expensive diamond ring and uh, MJF 
uh, to, to MJF and instead of uh, shaking MJF's DDP's hand MJF just rather rudely puts his uh, his gum into DDP's hand uh, there's a bit of a face off between DDP and Wardlow which ends up in a bit in a brawl uh, which is broken up by officials and uh, personally I thought that the, the brawl uh, at the ends between uh, the face off between DDP and Wardlow was just as entertaining as the match not that the match was bad at all but uh, I thought that was a, a really good way to end this segment but uh, uh, the match uh, MJF, Adam Page, and then the segment at the end with DDP having a square off with uh, with Wardlow. Uh, what were your thoughts on went down here then? I'm quite surprised that the match uh, the match didn't seem to be too long. No, considering it was meant to be for this illustrious ring, so I thought it would have been built up to be a bit longer. But unless maybe they were running short on time or something, I'm not entirely sure. But um, it was. It was it was a good little match, and the fact that DDP is sixty three years old it baffles me. He still looks amazing. Yeah. Uh, apparently, he does a lot of yoga. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm not sure. I haven't heard, but uh, yeah, apparently he's into yoga. Oh. <laughs> but that that must do the trick. <laughs> must do, yeah. Uh, not not a fan of yoga myself. The only kind of yoga I do is uh, bending down to pick up the remote after I've dropped it. <laughs> <laughs> yes uh, well i've got children for that so i'll get them to pick up the remote <laughs> for me uh then we see um another roads uh, we see an in-ring interview with dustin Rhodes. uh that was until he got uh, uh sneak attacks from sammy guevara and the rest of the inner circle however matt and nick jackson jackson rushed to uh make the save and the segment comes to an end with uh, the good guys getting the better of Guevara, Santana and Ortiz. Um, and this uh, sets up a nice six-man tag match uh, that was announced during the show for next week's Dynamite. So that'll be a hell of a match. And then moving on to our main event then. Uh, Scorpio Sky, um, who's kind of uh, he, he's fallen into this this match um, against Chris Jericho, having beaten or pinned Chris Jericho in a tag match uh, when Chris was uh, teaming with Sammy Guevara and uh, Scorpio Sky with uh, Frankie Kazarian from a couple of weeks ago. Um, and this was a really good match uh, for, for the time that it had. Jericho caught Scorpio Sky off the ropes uh, with with a um, with, with the walls of Jericho which Sky was able to escape from uh, by reaching the bottom rope. Uh, Sky drops Le Champion with a cutter before executing a submission of his own. Then Jake Hager races down to interfere, uh, but Scorpio Sky knocks him clean off the ring apron. Then Kazarian and Daniels come out to prevent any further interference from Hager. Um, and uh, Jericho goes to use the title belt only for Scorpio Sky to avoid the move to drop Jericho with another close near, for an, another close near fall. Uh, there's a leaping top rope Hurricane Rana from Scorpio Sky. So leaping from the canvas, uh, getting Jericho while he sat on the top turnbuckle with a Hurricane Rana gets a two count from that attempt. Jericho uh, counted or even countered Sky with a code breaker for a, a two count of his own. Jericho ends the match in rather prompt fashion uh, by turning Scorpio Sky over for a second Lion Tamer with Scorpio Sky tapping out almost instantly. And the the, the end of the show or uh, the closing segment to this show uh, gives us John Moxley uh, entering the arena to a huge ovation from the fans uh, with a bit of a stare down from a distance, uh, albeit uh, between Moxley and Jericho as the show goes off air. So we, we had Scorpio Sky and Chris Jericho in a championship match and uh, like I say, a rather prompt ending to that match. Maybe they were running out of time, although they did promise a 60 minute match and it would continue on YouTube if it did uh, continue. But uh, Scorpio Sky tapped out to the Lion Tamer and then we had a bit of a stare off from a distance between John Moxley and Chris Jericho so a, a, an awesome way to uh, to cap off this week's episode of Dynamite but I'd love to know your take on it 
Absolutely. Um, there seems to be uh, around some of the other uh, wrestling podcasts I listen to as well. There's a lot of people that are very skeptical on uh, Jericho versus Moxley because of the feud that they had in WWE and how that didn't exactly go very great. Mm-hmm. But I almost feel as if that was kind of a much less uh, motivated Jericho and Moxley um, than they are now. And I th- I'm starting to think now, uh, w- whenever the title match happens is um, probably the first question. I'm assuming it may maybe happen on the the first AEW of the new year because they're building that up as quite a big show because it's their homecoming show. Yeah. Um, or or they're doing or they're doing Jericho's cruise. I don't know if that's meant to be built as a, a big show, but um, I'm potentially looking forward to uh, this uh, this match between the two of them to see what uh, what they can do with a lot less uh, shackles on them um, in AEW. Yeah. Exactly, and I think that the shackles will be off, and that will be a big difference between this and their feud in WWE. And if I remember, there was a, a potted plant involved. There was a, uh, a, a, a Dean Ambrose a, a asylum cage as well, with all sorts of weird and wonderful uh, weapons attached to the side of the cage. And it was a big letdown, to be honest with you. But this one, I think they've, they've reinvented themselves since they left WWE, and Chris Jericho is always on a journey of reinvention. And I think uh, this current incarnation of Jericho is probably the best ever, in my opinion. I'm uh, certainly the one that's. Uh, kind of caught my attention the most out of all of his uh, versions of Chris Jericho love what he's doing now and the same for John Moxley and I think that when they do meet it will uh, uh, yeah it will cast a massive shadow over anything they did previously in WWE because I think that these are two wrestlers in a, in a different zone with the shackles off with a lot more freedom and um, yeah it, it looks like and one thing that confused me was John Moxley as a, as a baby face I think he's kind of always been a baby face because people have cheered him an awful lot but uh, he's always portrayed himself as a heel but now against Jericho I suppose he's positioning himself more as a tweener or maybe a baby face. Um, but I think the dynamic works and I don't think it's going to alter or change John Moxley's style or persona. Um, but um, yeah, uh, any kind of closing thoughts on AW Dynamite before we move on then, Grizz? Um, there was one that the during the uh, Dustin promo and the, the brawl that happened, there was that microphone that was lying in the middle of the ring that really unnerved me. <laughs> Because everybody like seemed to almost get slammed on it, and then even at one point um, when the the Bucks threw a super kick, like I think it was Matt Jackson, like kind of uh, when he brought his leg back down, kind of stood on the microphone and kind of stumbled, um, like almost tripping over it, and it was just one of those things where it's like when it comes to brawls after uh, an interview, like when they drop mics and start doing moves to each other, it's really unnerving, like just waiting for someone to land on a microphone. Yeah, I hadn't spotted that, but I might go back and watch it because uh, I'm the same. If there's anything, uh, like say like a microphone, for example, in the middle of the ring, um, yeah, you know that somebody is kind of dying to use to to use it as a weapon or to slam somebody on it. But uh, yeah, it's uh, it it leaves you with a feeling of uncomfortability. But um, yeah, so what we'll do now then, Grizz, is we'll talk through the categories for the Wrestling with Jonas Pro Wrestling End of Year Awards. Now, obviously, uh, the voting goes live today. um, fairly soon as a matter of fact and this is the formal announcement of all 25 categories so wow. originally the, the list of categories was was a bit longer then i narrowed them down but the way i've seen it, it says something for everything in this list of awards 
And I've also added in quite a few because this is the, the, the final month or also of uh, 2019, the final month of the decade. Um, so there's a few decade awards in there as well. So I'll go through them. Um, and this is in the order that you can kind of vote on them on the on the survey, which uh, I will uh, uh, kind of give the, the website address to very, very soon. But uh, the first award that people can vote for is, of course, Newcomer of the Year or Breakout Star of the New Year. Uh, the second award is uh, Announcer of the Year. The We've got faction or stable of the year. Uh, award number four is going to be um, uh, indie promotion of the year, followed by indie wrestler of the year, and then at number six is going to be the uh, uh, biggest letdown match of the year. So one that was kind of hyped up. Um, you might think of maybe Seth Rollins and the Fiend at uh, Hell in a Cell, which really uh, felt like a, a lead balloon in the end. And then uh, most underrated match of the year, angle slash storyline of the year, worst wrestler of the year, worst match of the year, and babyface and heel of the year. Uh, biggest shot or moment of the year is another award uh most improved wrestler comeback of the year and they're going into our decade awards so we've got to show of the decade uh from 2010 through to 2019 match of the decade from 2010 through to 2019 and wrestler of the decade from 2010 through to 2019 uh, and then on to our big awards uh, to cap off the the, the awards we got to our brightest prospects for 2020 so who will be the the biggest uh, breakout star of next year Wrestling promotion of 2019, tag team of the year, show of the year, or slow sh show slash pay per view of the year, match of the year, wrestler of the year for uh, for women, and wrestler of the year for men. So 25 awards there. Um, I went through it and I, I used a survey and voted myself. It took under 10 minutes, but uh, it was good fun going through it all and jogging your memory bank as far as what really caught your attention in 2019. And even thinking further back, like say the decade awards are there uh, for you to think about who's really stood out over the last. Uh, nine and ten years um so uh, some interesting awards there but uh, any kind of award categories there Grizz, that uh, jumped out with you that uh, you might be voting on when the awards go live later on today um worst wrestle of the year jinder mahal worst for it well yes uh, he'll be getting your votes no doubt uh, but uh, yeah so voting goes live and uh, the, the link to the survey where you can put your your cast your votes will of course be attached to this podcast or any of my social media posts and probably be pinned to the top of my twitter and facebook uh, page of course um, but uh, you can find uh, the voting form at surveyhero.com forward slash c forward slash 2a251 fb8 so uh, I'll probably need to change the end of that to uh, WWJ Pod Awards or something like that. But it is what it is at the moment. I don't expect you to read it. Just click on it and complete the vote. So uh, that's yes, that's catchy. There we go. Well, I think so. I, I, I might just add a two to the end of it for next year's and a three for the following year. So, uh, yeah, there we go. Uh, but uh, there we go. The, the link to that will be attached to this podcast and all of our social media links. And it'll be... Uh, pinned to the top of those pages uh so that we, let's have a look at this week's nxt so we've had a, a really good chat about AEW. let's have a chat about their kind of co primary competition in the wednesday night wars of course nxt mm -hmm. so th this week's uh, nxt starts with a bit of a recap from saturday's takeover war games a uh, full review of that of course is available in the archives so i covered it with uh, liam from five stars in the tokyo dome podcast and uh, that's uh, there for you to listen um and uh, th this week's show it just started with a bit of a celebration Celebration inside Full Sail to celebrate not only the fantastic takeover, but a tremendous Survivor Series where the black and gold brand came out victorious, you could say, over, over Raw and over SmackDown with four wins against one and one. 
The celebration gets caught, uh, cut short, however, by Adam Cole and the Undisputed Era, who told everyone that the only reason NXT was successful was because of uh, because of the Undisputed Era themselves. Tommaso Ciampa, Keith Lee, Matt Riddle and Dominic Dijakovic are in the ring. Listen to all of this go down with Ciampa not sounding too impressed with the, uh, the, the verbiage coming out of NXT champion Adam Cole and says that uh, for, the, for four boys who had their arses whooped at War Games, they sure do seem confident. Tommaso says that War Games was just a beginning of the end for the Undisputed Era and tonight the collapse continues with Keith Lee and Dominic Dijakovic taking the tag team title so big words there from Tommaso Ciampa then tells Roddy Strong that his days as North American champion are numbered also Tommaso then addresses the NXT champion uh, championship belt Goldie as he uh, so fondly likes to refer to it as and says that daddy had to go to war but the war is over and he's coming after Adam Cole's championship and just then we get uh, Finn Balor, who walks uh, straight through uh, Undisputed Era on the ramp. Tommaso challenges Finn Balor to a match on tonight's show. And uh, then that leads to our opening match as Keith Lee tells Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly to get in the ring as they're about to kick things off uh, with the tag team title match. Uh, on the line there and then. So uh, a big match to kick off the show, but a hell of a segment. Lots of uh, promo work from the Undisputed Era, Tommaso Ciampa and all the others getting involved on the mic. Finn Balor coming out towards the end there. Uh, what was your take on this opening segment then, Grizz? Um, well, I liked how it started with the uh, the, the big party with uh, the whole roster coming out and um, the, the rapper the, singing a little song. Um, yeah. Because it's... Uh, I always loved like in these like big um, uh, what's the word like like the the, the big uh, crowds um, of like wrestlers to to try and uh, sort of pinpoint some uh, some people that uh, you don't see very often because I noticed that Shotzi Blackheart like technically made her NXT debut in this yeah, segment. You can't miss her, can you? No, because she's. Oh. Absolutely gorgeous, and I love her. <laughs> I, I was referring to green hair, but uh, yeah, she's gorgeous as well. <laughs> I mean, the, pro- probably the green hair is part of the reason why I have such a massive crush. Um, Fair enough. <laughs> yeah. And uh, also uh, the return of Kushida and a fedora. Ah, I, I did not spot that. I, I, I noticed the fedora, and then I noticed who was in the fedora, and I was like, oh, brilliant. <laughs> Ah, well, because uh, I know he's out with a, a broken wrist or a broken hand at the moment, or uh, I think he suffered that at the hands of Walter in their match from a few weeks ago. But uh, hopefully we'll see him back fairly soon. He is, a, is greatly missed. And I don't think he's really hit his stride yet on NXT, so it'd be good to see what no. he can uh, provide uh, in 2020. But um, uh, quite a fun opening segment. Um, that did lead us into our opening match, though, Grizz. And it was for the Tag Team Championships and Undisputed Era versus Keith Lee and Dominic Dijakovic. Uh, Lee, Lee, Keith Lee, that is, starts this match off uh, really strong with a, a huge leapfrog over both Fish and O'Reilly before Gorilla pressing Bobby Fish out of the ring. So this is an interesting turn of events uh, where we are told when they came back from commercials that Bobby Fish cannot continue with this match and is immediately replaced by fellow UE member Roderick Strong as the match continues. Uh, it appears that... Uh, uh, Fish was injured from being thrown over the ring by Keith Lee and uh, landing awkwardly on his knee, although there's a bit of conjecture as to whether it was a, a potential reoccurrence of his knee injury or maybe a concussion that's uh, waiting to be confirmed. Um, 
We then see Dijakovic perform a powerbomb on O'Reilly and a chokeslam on Roderick Strong, uh, getting a, a two count on Kyle O'Reilly. Keith Lee then has O'Reilly up in a, a spirit bomb on the outside. Um, this time, however, Strong interferes with a chop block, taking Keith Lee down and preventing the move. Dijakovic turns the tide with an outstanding springboard sent on from the middle rope to the outside on Strong and O'Reilly. Then, in a really kind of holy shit moment, uh, Adam Cole comes down uh, the rampway uh, but is launched into the fans with a gigantic pounce by Keith Lee over the guard railings into the first three rows and, and poor and unfortunate fans. Um, I think it's, it's kind of broken the internet with the, the gif and the meme that uh, of, of Keith Lee uh, well launching Adam Cole into the stratosphere, really. But uh, you, you must have been kind of abused or, uh, I don't know, did you jump out of your seat when you saw that? What, what were your thoughts when Keith Lee performed that pounce on Adam Cole? It almost looked like he didn't mean to do it. <laughs> I, I, I don't think he realised how light or how easy it was for him to pounce Adam Cole, to be honest with you. He certainly went flying. Because the, when I seen it, I was trying to figure out if um, the fans that were in those seats might have been plants that knew how to, how to catch him. But looking back at it and the way that he kind of landed, I don't think uh, I don't think that was the case. <laughs> Well, I'd like to think they were plants because otherwise uh, there could be uh, uh, a compensation being uh, owed to anybody that might have been injured. But uh, yes, uh, that that was a pretty holy shit moment. Um, uh, Dominic Dijakovic looks on looks on uh, at what had just occurred on the outside, perfectly setting up O'Reilly and Strong to execute their high-low finisher for the one, two, three, as Undisputed successfully defend their championships in this action-packed and dramatic opening match. So we, we didn't get new champions, but we did get... Uh, uh, we did get uh, uh, our Keith Lee, of course, who uh, set himself up big time. He made a huge superstar of himself at War Games and especially Survivor Series over the past weekend and has possibly set himself up also as a contender or a possible contender to Adam Cole's championship, certainly after that pounce. Now, there's a lot of people that are throwing their hats or names into the to the uh, to the ring possibly vying for Adam Cole's championship. We'll talk more about that later on. But uh, do you think Keith Lee has possibly made himself a contender for, for Goldie or the championship after Wednesday night? Well, definitely after the, the kind of week that he's had. Um, yeah. I do want to kind of like throw a bit of criticism on the end of this match, though, because where was Keith Lee during the, the pinfall? Mm. Like, on commentary, they tried to... They tried to say, like, oh, Keith Lee was just in awe of his strength um, at what he'd done to, to Adam Cole that he couldn't break up the three count. And it's like, I don't know, I don't feel like that's a good enough excuse. Yeah. Um, but nope. that's, of that. that's the only thing that's kinda, that kind of slightly put a damper on uh, what, was a, uh, what was a great match. Yeah. Because um, unless, you know, unless we missed it and after the high-low was hit... Um, uh, whichever one it was of the Undisputed Era that didn't get the pin, uh, tried to you know play play defense and blocked him from getting in the ring, and we just didn't notice. Um, and the fact that Roddy Strong came in at literally a moment's notice and was able to to hold this uh, this this match together, is, it just shows like the absolute talent that that, that dude has. Yeah, most definitely. He's, he's a pro through and through. And I think he, he is one of the versatile players that you can throw in at uh, zero notice and get a great performance from. And I think that uh, certainly when he's when he's 
combining with Kyle O'Reilly, they were the tag team champions together uh, from a while ago. And then, of course, you've got two ultra pros in the shape of Keith Lee and Dominic Dijakovic that, that, you know, I, I don't think they probably said a word to each other while they were just doing that match and they just happened naturally, organically, as you would expect from four excellent wrestlers. But uh, that led us straight into our next match and it was Shane Thorne versus Mansoor. So uh, now we've all seen the rise of Mansoor throughout 2019. He uh, uh, definitely has made his mark, uh, especially with that, that battle royal win in Saudi Arabia from June. Then, of course, his win over Cesaro at Crown Jewel from last month. Um, but uh, this is the first time we've seen him in a long time certainly in an NXT ring. Uh, this match was uh, also very fast-paced with Mansoor taking a risky dive to the outside only to be caught by Shane Thorne, uh, dropping Mansoor uh, with a backdrop driver on the floor on the outside. We see another high-angled backdrop driver from Thorne getting a two-count inside the ring. Mansoor attempts a second dive through the ropes on uh, on Thorne, this time connecting successfully, perfectly setting up Mansoor with a slingshot net breaker for the pinfall victory over Shane Thorne. So uh, just your, your quick thoughts on this match and... Um, I mean, one thing that uh, always, uh, when Shane Thorne makes his entrance, unless they got his name at the bottom half of the screen, I can never remember his name. And I don't know if it's because he's quite a forgettable wrestler in general, but he's one of them wrestlers that doesn't really kind of stand out to me in any way, shape or form. And he, when he's in the ring, He's fairly good. He's got some good moves. Uh, I remember he, he had a good match with Johnny Gargano uh, not too long ago. Um, but he's, he's not a very memorable wrestler. And I think his position within NXT is exactly this, potentially putting over people like Mansoor. But uh, what's your thoughts on this match and my comments on Shane Thorne, maybe? Absolutely agree with you. Um, the, one of the things, I'm, I'm quite the wrestling theme snob. And... This new theme song that Shane Thorne has um, is absolute killer uh, in mm. terms of it's, it's a killer to the character. Um, because you're, you're right, like Shane Thorne isn't exactly the most memorable wrestler in the world. Um, and I thought that he should have kept uh, the Mighty's theme song after um, Nick Miller left. And... Yeah, it does seem now as if he's literally just being used as a kind of job guy, whereas before TM61 um, or the Mighty yeah. um, were, were starting to get fairly prominent. And it is kind of a shame that his tag partner left, considering the two of them made like pretty much most of their career was them as, as a tag team. So now them splitting up and Nick Miller being in... Uh, New Japan now it sounds as if he's doing pretty well and Shane Thorne decided to to kind of stay in NXT and it just doesn't seem to be going as well for him but on the on the flip side of that like uh, Monsoor is um, I really like this this kid and um, I'm quite excited to see what he brings uh, in the future when he just gets that you know that little bit more polished uh, in terms of his wrestling uh, sort of skills and everything, yeah. And I, I reckon like he could, he could probably make a, a good run at maybe the the cruiserweight title or something um, down the line because um, I think uh, him versus uh, Leo Rush has potential to be um, a barn burner. Yeah, and he delivered a pretty good promo after his win against Cesaro at Crown Jewel, so he can definitely deliver on the mic as well. Um, but uh, I've got a feeling that they'll use him sparingly on NXT and then kind of wheel him out every time they go to Saudi Arabia for that hometown mm -hmm. pop. But um, yeah, he is a very good wrestler, and uh, I think he, he's really 
come into prominence this year especially um and uh yeah uh, he's, he's pretty good in the ring so uh, i'd say use him a bit more um but uh he, he's definitely a talent uh, and then we get a grudge match of sorts candice ray versus dakota kai and uh, we see the, the entrance and the new look, the, the new entrance music and the new attitude from Dakota Kai uh, after her heel turn uh, on Tegan Knox on Saturday night. She's even carrying Tegan's knee brace to the ring as a bit of a memento. Um, and uh, the match is, is, wow, it's kind of full on, to be honest with you. It really is uh, one of those matches you have to go out and see. But Candice goes for broke with a huge dive uh, onto Dakota on the outside before getting a two count from a back sent on. Dakota then spins Candice kind of around in a full circle um, into the ring post. And that was quite a, a unique and novel move that looked quite painful. Uh, then there's a scary spot where Dakota, uh, with Dakota landing quite awkwardly from a roughly executed German suplex on the ring apron from Candice. Uh, Candice then gets a two count from a tornado DDT. Lorraine misses her moonsault, setting up Dakota for her chiropractor move on Candice for another two count. Uh, Dakota connects with a shot to the head um, of Lorraine with a with the knee brace. So she uses the knee brace that she brings down to the ring as a weapon and uh, caused a disqualification for herself, giving the, the the win, of course, to Candice LeRae through disqualification. Dakota launches LeRae against the ring steps before going uh, for a steel chair. And just as she's about to use the steel chair against her opponent, Candice LeRae, outcomes. We're Ripley, of course, the, the star of the moment. Uh, she makes the save to send Dakota packing. So a really fun match. Uh, I like the action. I mean, uh, both Dakota and Candice LeRae fought around the ring. So the action went to the outside. There was some good action on the inside of the ring, some close near falls, um, a disqualification win for Candice LeRae through the, the, the leg brace, and then uh, Rhea Ripley coming down towards the end. So it, it pretty much uh, had some good action, some good drama, and a good story to it as well. But uh, what were your thoughts on uh, how this went? down then Grizz I absolutely love the new Dakota Kai mm, same here uh, it, it's just something so simple like changing a wrestler's theme music when they turn heel um, or face um, and this was, this was kind of one of these things that I couldn't take seriously about um, Sasha Banks when she turned uh, heel and still just came out with the same music granted it's changed now and it definitely has helped elevate the character but just with the, with the way that NXT do it so quickly, um, it's it's just very you know kind of admirable that they just have that little bit more attention to detail when it comes to stuff like that. And I feel like Dakota should constantly come out with this knee brace and just have that be her kind of uh, a gimmick or whatever until yeah. um, Tegan comes back. Because I'm gonna I'm gonna assume that maybe Tegan may be off TV for a couple of weeks to sell the injury because it did look pretty brutal. Let's face it, um, and then you know it'll finally get to the point where Dakota and Tegan will have their match, and then Tegan with the victory, and then she could reclaim her uh, her uh, knee brace um, off Dakota. Or if you really want to go that one step further, <laughs> have it in a ladder match. Well, yeah, th that would be a really good match. But I think when the two of them, Dakota Kai and uh, Tegan Knox, do get in the ring, I think that's going to be a battle. Uh, that really is. Um, but when that will happen, not sure. I think the next NXT TakeOver is not advertised until the 16th of February. Now, they do have a, a Worlds Collide show pitting uh, superstars from NXT and NXT UK uh, going to battle on the Saturday uh, overall Rumble weekend. But I don't know whether that will be... I mean, I, I, 
to potentially this would be um, uh, a big enough match to have on an episode of NXT. It would certainly put a, a bit of a spike in the ratings, but uh, I can't wait for that one to happen. But yes, uh, I think Tegan's going to be out, as you rightly said, for a couple of weeks to sell the injury. I love the new Dakota Kai. I love her look, uh, the music as well, the attitude, the knee brace. Yeah, just think that's a, a really good package for her. And uh, where we were talking earlier about Bailey's heel turn, which isn't clicking, this one definitely has. And in the vein of Io Shirai and her heel turn, which is 100% working, I think this one is doing the trick as well. And maybe that's the difference between uh, kind of how the stars are developed NXT. Uh, as opposed to how they're developed um, when you get to the main roster, you could say, um, well, there's a bit more thought and a bit more creativity um, put into these characters. But uh, there we go. And then we get to an NXT Cruiserweight Championship match, Akira Tozawa versus Leo Rush. And of course, Akira was one of the three in the kickoff show um, Cruiserweight Championship match. Of course, it was Akira Tozawa, Leo Rush and... Uh, Oh, who was the third? I can't remember. One Kalisto. of the Lucha House Party, Kalisto, of course. Another one of those, uh, like Shane Thorne, not very memorable. <laughs> uh, but there was a, a senton spot from Tozawa crushing Leo's chest against the ring apron on the outside. And that looked pretty painful. There was a holy shit moment when Tozawa sends Leo crashing um, off the side of the ring with a, a brutal German suplex spot uh, with both men just beating the referee's 10 counts. Leo misses his slingshot cutter as Tazawa uh, falls to the canvas. Uh, Tazawa gets a very close near fall from a bridging German suplex with Leo. Uh, Leo is quick to react, bringing up his knees to block uh, Tazawa's top rope sent on, however. Uh, and Leo then executes two consecutive final hour frog splashes covering and getting the one, two, three to win the match and to retain his championship. And this was a, a really good match. It was uh, so much better than the Cruiserweight match on the kickoff for, Cru uh, for Survivor Series on Sunday. Really drama-filled. It was hard-hitting. And, uh, yeah, uh, it made the triple threat of Survivor Series look like Charles' player. At least that's what I've got down here in my notes. And uh, it was one of the better Cruiserweight matches I've seen from WWE in a long, long time. So, uh, yeah, Leo Rush versus Akira Tozawa. And uh, similar to when we've seen other quote-unquote may roster stars go back to NXT. Um, we mentioned earlier how, you know, people tend to revel in NXT. They have the shackles off. They really enjoy being there in front of the full-sale crowd, which is a very appreciative crowd, as we know. And they do seem to kind of wrestle with a bit more freedom. And uh, Akira Tozawa certainly seemed to be wrestling with a bit more freedom here in this match. Yeah, absolutely. Considering... Um... <clears throat> The Tozawa's kind of only been used on Raw recently as enhancement talent, which is a damn shame because Tozawa is arguably one of my favorite wrestlers that's in WWE right now. I don't know why I get so excited every time I hear that that dumb little theme music it has hit, but and the fact that while I was uh, kind of taking a few uh, notes to to talk about it and his theme song uh, hit, and I was like, oh, I'm so chuffed that I get to talk about. Uh, Tozawa, just because I like to gush on how much I love the guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I love his music as well. It, it, it's very reminiscent of um, uh, the Kill Bill uh, music that Tozawa's entrance. I absolutely love it. it it's, it's very reminiscent of that. And uh, um, yeah, it certainly kind of sets you up for an exciting match whenever Tozawa is on our, on our screens. But uh, any final thoughts on Tozawa versus Leo Rush? Yep, um, uh, I agree with you. It was a, it was an excellent match between the two of them, and just like the little things that Leo Rush does that um, 
just shows why he's such an incredible talent. And considering he's so young as well, mm-hmm. um, is is nuts. Like the, the dude has a long career ahead of him as long as he can stay healthy. But just little things like uh, see when he he does that thing where he runs off the ropes and then as he starts to run back towards the his opponent he kind of just stops and turns on a dame and then bounces off the yeah. other rope yeah that's just, you don't see that from many wrestlers that's quite unique yeah and it's i, I would imagine that's quite hard to do because mm. <laughs> you've got momentum going in one direction and then you're just like nope other direction um yeah. and as you brought up during your uh your rundown i quite like i really quite like that spot where um Leo Rush went for his uh, springboard stunner, and Tozawa just wasn't there. Um, it made the it made the match look more real, for lack of a better word, um, in the way that you know, like he took a risk by going for that move, and Tozawa just wasn't there, and so um, he kind of crashed and burned and landed uh, hit, hit the mat quite hard uh, from that, and it was just a, there was just a nice little added touch, and I don't know if that was maybe deliberate or if Tozawa just wasn't in position or whatever, but w- whatever it was, I, I kind of like really liked it for what it was. Yeah, it really works, didn't it? And he did add that uh, uh, aura of reality, uh, you could say. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed that spot. I, I picked that one out as well. I enjoyed that. But um, something you don't often see, uh, because quite often you see the wrestlers foolishly run into moves uh where on this occasion uh Tazawa was just too exhausted but uh, then we get a super quick match between Zia Lee and Vanessa Vaughn with um uh, Zia Lee disposing of Vaughn after a power bomb then a spin kick to the head uh, after the match Shayna Baszler and the horsewomen come out to uh, uh well they, they come out to attack Zia Lee uh, with Shayna and co pulling Lee to pieces as the champ gets on the mic to tell uh, us that no one had the weekend like she did. Uh, she beat SmackDown Women's Champion Bailey and Raw Women's Champion Becky Lynch, and she did uh, it all at the same time. Shayna tells us that uh, without her, there would be nothing to celebrate. Uh, but before Shayna could continue, Rhea Ripley, uh, the, the, the girl of the hour, she made an appearance, uh, a second appearance of the night, as a matter of fact, causing Baszler and Co. to exit the ring, and Leah tells Shayna, congratulations on her wins again against Becky and Bailey. Uh, but when she uh, goes face to face with her, uh, when she went face to face with her, she beat her. So they have had an exchange before and she'll do it again. But next time it will be for the NXT Championship. So uh, uh, the, the match between Zia Lee and Vanessa Ball was over in a flash. Uh, but it was the confrontation afterwards and another face to face confrontation between Shayna Baszler and Rhea Ripley. I mean, Rhea Ripley's had uh, the, the week uh, that only kind of you can imagine in dreams, to be honest with you, certainly with a, a pinfall victory over. Charlotte Flair on Friday, uh, successful War Games uh, match on Saturday, um, and then uh, successful in the Survivor Series match on Sunday, and then on Wednesday, kind of going on face to face and really putting her marker on things as far as the NXT Women's Championship is concerned. And she's the definite number one contender as far as I'm concerned. Uh, it'll be a, a match that I can't wait to see. But what about yourself, Grizz? Uh, can you do me a favor, real quick? Mm. Can you yeah. just? Can you just? Um... Tell me that result from Friday one more time. Uh, what, against Charlotte Flair? Mm-hmm. When she pinned Charlotte Flair? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, thank you. That's the one. Does that make you happy? <laughs> oh, that makes me so happy. Uh, I just really wanted to hear that just one more time, just to really let it sink in. But then uh, three days back to back were just phenomenal for Rhea Ripley. And she is the star that they're just they're strapping a rocket to. And she is 
off to the moon. Uh, so she is the star that they are putting all their all their bucks behind by the looks of it. Well, it's really interesting when you think about it in the the long term, um, because she's already held the NXT UK Women's Championship. She's now obviously enter, entering a program with um, Shayna Baszler for the NXT Women uh, American Women's Championship. Yeah, and considering she's so young and she's only twenty four years old. Yeah, um, if, th- if that, she might still be twenty three. But yeah, she's very young. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but considering how, how many years she has ahead of her, she could ideally become the ultimate grand champion in, mm. in a couple of years. Um, if she beats Shayna for the belt, which I really, really hope that they do, because I don't mind Shayna, but I am so bored of her with that belt. Yeah, true. Um, and so, like, with the, with all these years ahead of her, like, there's a chance that Rhea could uh, end up potentially becoming a future Raw and or SmackDown Women's Champion and then maybe even holding the tag titles at some point and she could literally become the ultimate um, Grand Slam Champion because she hopes she's held the NXT UK title as well. That's right, that's right. And I think she's... Um... Uh, heady in the stakes as far as uh, I don't think uh, Tony Storm they've got a lot she's got a lot of backing from the WWE uh, management but uh, I think Rhea Ripley she's going to be winning them championships uh, before Tony Storm will most definitely I think Rhea Ripley's got a few more advantages over Tony Storm for example she's got more of a character uh, better presence in the ring and, and better on the microphone as well as much as I love Tony Storm I just don't think she's quite the half half the package that she needs to be yet yeah I'd see I, I would uh, I would say that it definitely seems as if, as if they're starting to cool off a little bit on um on Tony Storm because she yeah. has not been very prominent as of late on any product really um in fact Survivor Series was probably the first time in forever that we we seen Tony Storm well, since sorry. Takeover Cardiff yeah um oh, well sorry she was actually on that um that uh, SmackDown before um Survivor yes. Series but you get what I'm saying. Um, like she, it's been a while since we've seen her, and it, it appears that she's she's ready to go. Unless she's just going to start showing up at the next NXT UK tapings and uh, rent to go there and see what what happens there in the future. But it does seem as if like they they kind of put all their eggs in the the Tony Storm basket when you know she won the the second May Young Classic and all that, um, and then it just it. She won the belt and she kind of lost it to Kaylee Ray in a match that was a bit disappointing. Yeah. Uh, considering the the talent that's involved, um, and it it just I don't know it just seems as if they've they've kind of taken their their foot off the pedal when it comes to Tony Storm a little. Um, maybe they're just kind of giving her more time to maybe try and find a better character or something like that. But I mean. With again, Tony Storm is also super young, so there's absolutely no rush. Yeah, yeah. Don't get me wrong; I'm a massive fan of Tony Storm. Um, I just think that she's not quite delivered in one or two of the areas when she was so highly touted and uh, pushed quite heavily to start off with. Um, I think when you look at Rhea Ripley, that's where Tony Storm should be, um, but Rhea Ripley's kind of got there quicker. So uh, yeah. we, we shall see. Let's have a look at this very, very exciting main event that was set up at the beginning of the show. Tommaso Ciampa going up against uh, the Prince, Finn Balor, of course. 
Now, in this match, just some of the highlights from uh, from the many highlights. Uh, Balor delivers a sling blade and a clothesline sending Champa to the outside before uh, crashing Champa into the railings with a John Woo dropkick. Uh, Champa manages to reverse a 1916 DBT into an air raid crash on the floor, with both wrestlers managing to just beat the 10 count of the referee. Champa gets a close near fall from a Project Champa uh, to This Is Awesome chance from the fans. Balor delivers another John Woo kick, uh, but uh, Champa is somehow able to deliver a second air raid crash uh, from the middle turnbuckle to, for a very close near fall. Uh, Champa then looks to uh, end the match when Adam Cole comes uh, back out to interfere again, uh, only to get uh, knocked off the ring. Uh, Balor drops Champa with an inverted DDT onto the NXT Championship belt, but only manages to get a two count. Uh, Cole then gets back up to connect with an enziguri to the side of Champa's head, allowing Balor to hook uh, the head for the 1916 DDT hook in the leg and getting the 1-2-3 over Champa so after the match another big talking point uh, Adam Cole and Balor uh, they, they stand over the body of the fallen Champa after the pinfall loss uh, Cole does his UE hand signal Balor pulls out the Bullet Club double guns uh, Adam Cole then slaps Balor on the back as if to say uh, you know we're, we're together now we're friends we're buddies but the Prince drops the NXT champion with an overhead kick bringing an end to this segment bringing an end to this show and leaving us all wondering exactly where Finn Balor's allegiances lie so first of all give us your thoughts on this excellent match uh, between Finn Balor and Tommaso Champ a bit of a dream match of sorts and then uh, what occurred afterwards Squeeze. That was literally the first uh, thing I was going to say was you talk about dream matches. Um, this was this was kind of one of these ones where you know you you sometimes don't realize you want a match until you're you're given it and then you're like I didn't realize that I wanted this my entire life until right now. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, also, other matches like that include a Hornswoggle versus Scott Steiner from <laughs> WrestleMania <laughs> weekend. Now you're talking. <laughs> yeah, but. It was uh, it was awesome stuff. Um, Tommaso Ciampa, I think, is on a, a complete other level. Um, and this story with him obviously never losing the NXT title um, just makes it that more interesting. And personally, like when he goes up against Adam Cole eventually, because there seems to be so many um, people want wanting a shot at the belt right now. I don't think uh, I think Adam Cole should keep the belt for a bit and then like let um, let Champa stew a little more uh, and really build it up. Um, and Finn Balor, I think, has been on another level ever since he turned heel. And I'm also kind of glad that they've finally uh, given us the answer to um, the. Is there an allegiance? Is there not an allegiance when it comes to uh, Balor and the the undisputed era? Because it seemed as if there was for a bit, or like a somewhat understanding. And there's been more than one time where we've all kind of sat there and gone, "Don't, don't throw up the UE symbol, Finn. Don't, don't." And then he then he hasn't. He does the gun thing, and you're like, "Right, okay." Because Finn does not need to be part of the undisputed era to to be over. 
No, definitely not. And I think his heel turn um, has been another revelation, to be honest with you. And as we said before, if this heel turn would have happened on WWE, on the main roster, Raw or SmackDown, I don't think it would have been half as effective. And he's getting quite a bit of license to do and say and look how he uh, does uh, in the ring. And uh, yeah, um, a, a fantastic main event and uh, yeah, a dream match that we saw on Wednesday night. But um overall thoughts on this week's NXT and uh, the $64,000 question, almost as expensive as the, the ring that MJF now owns. Uh, what would you say was you, the best show of the week or the better show of the two that we've just described? Mm. See, that's a tough one this week. Uh, but I think overall I would have to go with AEW. Uh, because? Uh, well, considering that opening segment uh, was absolutely everything I love uh, about Chris Jericho, just yeah. being hilarious, a great main event, um, interest in other matches, uh, like the, the women's tag match, um, Kenny Omega versus Pac, and uh, even like, you know, Best Friends versus the Lucha Bros was a, a great little match, and the only sort of criticism that I will take... Uh, take away from NXT is I do feel like they should have maybe tried to have build, built, built even there we go, <laughs> built the match more between uh, uh, Finn and Champa, like going into the show instead of uh, announcing it on the show because that might have like, you know, maybe grabbed another couple of eyes um, uh, to the to the product if you announced that in advance. Yeah. Yeah, very true. Yeah, and like I say, they seem to be squabbling over ratings or picking bones over ratings. Uh, certainly after NXT won the first of the first eight weeks uh, last week, um, and coming off the back of a very hot takeover weekend, Survivor Series, you would expect them to have the the upper hand, but they could have had even more of an upper hand, as you rightly said, had they've announced that main event ahead of time. But it all leads into the, the storyline. It all leads into kind of the the angle. But but now we've got a handful of people potentially vying for Adam Cole's NXT Championship. We've obviously got you know Finn Balor now thrown into the mix you got Tommaso Ciampa um potentially Keith Lee uh, maybe Johnny Gargano could be thrown into the mix when he's fit and well again but um we're a little way off from the next takeover as I said February the 16th is the next one so a couple of months off but uh kind of how do you think this championship contention is going to play out who do you think is going to be the first one to challenge Adam Cole or could there be a multi-man match uh, what's your thoughts See, I kind of like the idea of it. It seems like there's uh, three to four people right now. And I, th I feel like this would make good television for them to have like kind of a mini tournament or, mm. of some kind. Um, just to really like kind of flesh out everybody. Um, and it, it obviously, you know, you, you kind of need, uh, need television with uh, two hours live every Wednesday night. Uh, so it'd be a good way to, instead of just announcing like, Tommaso Ciampa's going to get the next title shot. Like, have him earn it. Because he's always implied, like, oh, yeah, Goldie, I'm coming back for you and all that. But, you know, it's NXT and, you know, William Regal, he doesn't just want to make things easy. No, no, definitely not. But uh, that, with what I've just explained and so many people vying for that uh, for that piece of gold, it certainly makes me want to come back and tune in next week. It's certainly one of them uh, angles and storylines uh, and threads that's going to make me want to see what happens next. So uh, yeah. there we go. Uh, but I have to watch next week's show because I'll be commentating about it on the podcast, of <laughs> course. But uh, that was another really fun week of AW Dynamite, a really fun episode of NXT. So I think... Uh, 
uh, we're definitely winners on that front and I think wrestling fans in general are winners with the vast array of wrestling product that's available to them and two excellent shows that they can kind of pick and choose and um, fight over and talk about uh, regarding AEW and NXT but Grizz, before we kind of say goodbye to you, we have the the, the much hyped, the much aligned two minute brain buster quiz. So okay. uh, I I hope you don't you can't check Wikipedia or Google for this Grizz. Um, these are going to be quick fire questions. I want quick fire answers, and uh, this will be the start of a leaderboard that will uh, comprise of other co-hosts and guest hosts as the weeks and the months progress. Um, and uh, essentially it will be the, the person who answers the most amount of questions correctly in two minutes will be top of the leaderboard. And uh, that is exactly your aim, your goal uh, for the next two minutes. So let's make sure I've got my stopwatch ready and uh, let me get my questions up. I hope I've got enough in front of me to, uh, if, if you answer these quickly, you might, we might run out of questions, but hopefully not. So, okay. Here we go. Uh, I will start the clock very, very shortly. And uh, the first question will commence now. So in which WWE pay-per-view did The Undertaker make his debut in 1990? Survivor Series. Which city in Louisiana hosted the 2014 and 2018 WrestleManias? Oh, pass. What number Wrestle Kingdom will take place in January next year? 15 who is the current iwgp world heavyweight champion okada what is the name of kenny omega's finishing move the one winged one winged angel how many wwe united kingdom champions have there been so far three for which mma company did jack hager current is currently Bellator. undefeated in which wrestler from Essex is the current Progress Proteus champion? Uh, Rampage Brand? No. In no. which year did Hulk Hogan win his first WWF championship? 1988. Who was Chris Jericho's tag team partner when he was one half of the Thrill Seekers? Landstorm. In which year did WWE Hall of Famer Edge retire from professional wrestling? Uh, 2012. In which, uh, which WWE legend has won the most Royal Rumble matches? Stone Cold Steve Austin. Who is the current Impact World Champion? Sammy Callahan. Which WWE women's wrestler has Batista been getting hot and steamy with over Twitter? And which venue hosted WrestleMania 1? Oh, we're out of time. We are out of time. So I got a chance to answer. Madison Square Garden. Uh, Out of time, Grizz. But (laughs) you've asked 14 questions. And by my reckoning, you got... And nine of those correct. Ah. So let's go through some of them. Let's. So uh, yeah, question one, which pay-per-view show did The Undertaker make his debut? You correctly answered Survivor Series. Uh, which city in Louisiana hosted the 2014 and 2018 WrestleManias? That was New Orleans, of course. Ah. 
I was there. Um, <laughs> which number Wrestle Kingdom will take place in January next year? So it's Wrestle Kingdom 14 ah. uh, next year. So close, close. Yes. Uh, you've got the uh, IWGP World Heavyweight Championship, correct? Okada, of course. Uh, Kenny Omega's finishing move, the one-winged angel. Uh, three United Kingdom champions, of course. Uh, Bellator, that's the MMA company that Jake Hager uh, fights for. Uh, which which uh, wrestler from Essex is the current Proteus champion? Uh, so, uh, oh, crikey, I've, I've not got the answer down here, but it's the, the, the little guy. Oh, um, crikey, I'm going to have to Google my own my own quiz here. <laughs> uh, let's have a quick look. And, um, yeah, because as soon as I said Rampage Brown, I was like, oh, no, he's from Leeds. Yeah. Let's have a look. Proteus champion. It's uh, ba, 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 ba. and he's one of my favourite wrestlers. I don't know why. Why is it not down here? I'll come back to this anyway. Let's go back to the ones. Uh, this is this is live podcasting, folks. This is live podcasting. Uh, it's so absolute finest. And it's absolute finest. In which year did Hulk Hogan win his first WWF championship? It's 1984. I think you said 88. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Lance Storm, of course, of course, Chris Jericho's partner in the Thrill Seekers back in Smoky Mountain days. Which year did WWE Hall of Famer Edge retire? Um, I think you got that one wrong. It, the correct answer is 2011. Because yeah. it was straight after WrestleMania 27, of course. Uh, that was his final match before he retired the final night um, or a few nights later on SmackDown. Uh, which WWE legend was one of the most memorable rumbles, of course? Stone Cold Steve Austin, you got that right. Sammy Callahan is the Impact World Champion. And of course, Dana Brooke is getting into a hot and steamy uh, Twitter uh, exchange with Batista. So uh, let me just check for my own sanity the protein paul robinson paul robinson of course and i should know that because he's one of my, my favorite wrestlers and there's a picture of him staring at me through my laptop saying john why can't you remember my name and if i ever get within 10 feet of him he'll probably slap me uh but there we go so nine correct questions you're top of the leaderboard grizz well yes. done default <laughs> yes. default default <laughs> so at least for the next seven days you're top of the leaderboard but i think nine correct questions in two minutes is a good effort so congratulations and that well done so uh, did, did you enjoy that experience yeah it was, <laughs> it was intense but a good kind of intense there we go there we go and uh, i've tried to throw in a mix of mixture of obvious and maybe not so obvious questions there but uh, grizz that brings us to the end of the wrestling Majorna's podcast episode 83 um and and I'd, I'd love you to kind of give our listeners an opportunity to get in touch with you if you have any plugs any twitter handles any facebook uh, pages um anything you want to plug or throw out there to the uh, to the wrestling world um where can my listeners of wrestling Majorna's podcast find you then buddy Absolutely. Well, um, I, I'm i still in the podcast game, just in a very different kind of um, uh, subject these days, as I do a Robot Wars podcast with uh, my, my friend Alan. Um, it's called Rise of the Robots, and you can find that on pretty much anywhere that um, podcasts get podcasted. Um, and you can follow us on the, the Twitter there at podcast R-O-T-R. Um, my personal Twitter, if anyone feels like sending us a tweet, because I don't really use it much, but, but mainly because I don't talk to people, is at Juggalo Grizz. And, um, but please, like, if you, uh, if you've ever, like, remember Robot Wars from the, the olden days, then this is the show for you, because we're stuck, we started at season one, um, from all the way back in 1990, 1998, uh, and we're, uh, 
we've went through the first two seasons of Robot War so far. We're uh, then going to be covering some uh, BattleBots from America, and it's it's going to be a, a long, long-winded um, journey through metal munching carnage. Uh, I used to love Robot Wars back in the day. Uh, <laughs> do you just throw out the name of that podcast again one more time, Chris? Sure, it's Rise of the Robots. There we go. So everybody go and check that out. But uh, Grizz, I want to thank you so much for being a, a guest host on the Wrestling with John's podcast this week. Uh, thank you very much. I hope you've enjoyed the experience. It's been great fun. There we go. Well, uh, I'm sure we'll have you back on sometime in the near future, most definitely, uh, as far as I'm concerned. But uh, we'll be back again um, next Saturday with our next uh, recap of NXT and AEW Dynamite and all things good that have happened in the world of wrestling from the previous seven days. But in the meantime, please keep it tuned to the Wrestling with Jonas podcast for all of your weekly NXT and AEW updates, including regular WWE and AEW pay-per-view reviews and so much more. And if you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, please don't forget to spread the word. Tell your friends and tell your family and don't forget to hit them uh, ever important subscribe buttons so that you know when an episode of Wrestling with Jonas drops on your favourite podcast platform and so you don't miss out on a single episode of course but in the meantime from myself and from Grizz thank you very much for listening have yourself a great weekend and a great week catch up with you all again soon 